Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to the Gagan Pod, where I'm joined by two world-class goalkeepers. No one's dropping their coffees here this morning. Marky Schwarzer and Tommy Sorensen join me as we chat all things Socceroos. Should we be worried? Mark Schwarzer makes a big call about his 06 ruse up against this current squad. We talk about the dark side of football on the back of Sports' newest sideline feature. Mane Salah back in the Liverpool team. Who will start some football rivalries that the boys have experienced? And we look ahead to all the Premier League action coming your way. All that and plenty more on the Gagan Pod. What's happening, football fans? Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by the Goalkeepers Union, Thomas Sorensen and Marky Schwartz as we try to dissect all the biggest stories in the world of football. And I think, gentlemen, we've got to kick it off with what happened last week. Last time we spoke, we left it at Australia's playing later tonight. It's a must-win match, otherwise we're in some serious trouble. Now, Australia didn't win that match against Oman. Ended in a 2-2 draw. Now our chances of making the World Cup look really up in the balance. Mark Schwarzer, what did you make of that performance? And is it time to panic as an Australian supporter base? Um, yeah, a little bit. A little bit time to panic. Um, what did I make of the performance? Um, listen, it's a, it's a tough one because I, I think the guys clearly felt the pressure. I think they clearly felt the pressure of a must-win situation. Uh, a little bit complacent in the end. Um, I think, I mean, what I've heard a lot of people saying, not brave enough, um, you know, not not taking the game to Oman enough. And, you know, they're probably right. And, and that's the hard thing, you know, because you, you look at Oman and you think, right, Australia, we should be beating them. And it's no disrespect to, to Oman. Um, left ourselves with a mountain to climb, obviously playing Japan and Saudi need to win both games to have any chance to, to qualify uh, directly. Otherwise um, it's through the playoff, which this time around, as we know, is you've got to play eventually if you beat the third place player in the other group to you, you end up playing against South American side. So the playoff is just so much more difficult this time around. And Tommy, I mean, we know your your nation at the moment is flying high and qualified quite comfortably, but your adopted nation, Australia, we're in a little bit of trouble. For you, as as a former Danish player and obviously Danish fan, when you look at that, that, that is a country which can relate that you've had generations, you've had highs and you've had lows. Looking at this current generation of Australian players, can we really expect much better or are we overestimating our ability a little bit? Uh, you know, again, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big... Uh, big issue overall um you know you can go you can start with development you can start with i think the the a league uh and then take it to how many players are, are playing in, in europe and i i think compared to the generation that mark was a part of i, I think uh you can't expect the same um you know level and i think you can also see it on the pitch you know yes there's there's good players um do i think that uh the team is getting the most out of those players at the moment. I don't think so. Uh, I think, you know, you can ask a few questions of, of Graham Arnold and, and how, 
you know, how the team is playing. Uh, there, there's some issues, I think, second half issues. Uh, they, they tend to play well in the first half uh, and then falter a bit in the second half, you know, conceding leads uh, like, like they did against Oman as well. Um, so, so I don't think they're getting the most of it, but, but I also think there's a bigger issue with, with talent. Um, you know, I, I don't see the team being at, you know, at a level of, of the past. So, um, you know, it, it's something that I think Australian football in general has to, to think about if, if uh, you want to compete at, at World Cups every, you know, every four years. Maybe we're taking it for granted there for a bit. Schwartz, I love speaking to you about this because you are labelled as part of that golden generation. And, you know, maybe it gives you a little bit of a pep in the step when you're walking around. But really, when we have a look at this current crop of players, on the weekend, Martin Boyle, goal and assist. Aidan Hustich scored a double. Rogic scored a double. Kenny Dougal with two assists in his game. So the players seem to be in some decent form for their club teams. It doesn't seem to be translating on the park for the national team. Do you agree that we have a generation which is inferior to that previous generation or has the world of football just gotten better? I know there's no doubt they're not as good as the so-called golden generation, that squad of players that went to 2006 World Cup. There's no doubt. I don't think um, that any team so far as as, as has been of that level, man for man, throughout the whole squad. That's what we're talking about. I mean, obviously, through different generations, there's been standout individuals, four, five players, three, you know, wherever it is. Um, I think, like, you know, Thomas there touched on it briefly there about the fact that they're not getting enough out of the players from the national team. And maybe maybe Graham Arnold is a little bit uh, hesitant. Maybe he's a little bit uh, conservative in his approach at times. And that has come across with his team. And, you know, they went on this incredible run of breaking a record of of consistent uh, of consecutive wins. And then they've fallen away. And it's almost like, you know, you, you think about it. Generally, you know, you, you build up on runs and momentum and you've got confidence. And you might lose one game or two games and then you've got to pick yourself up again. It just seems to have lost all confidence, uh, all momentum. And, you know, it's... It's uh, it's worrying. Um, we I think the, the talk about whether or not where the next generation of players are coming from are they good enough? Are they going to be at that level? You know that's something that you can't fix overnight. That's something that is part of a system that obviously you know we we had a revamp. What what is it? I don't know. I'm guessing probably ten years ago, 15, twelve years ago, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> we have seen some players come through. We haven't seen probably the generation that maybe people were hoping for. But then maybe that's the next crop of young players coming through. Maybe that's taking that just a little bit longer. Maybe it's the next kind of crop of in the next sort of four, next probably four year cycle. Hopefully, we've got some some better players, more consistent, um, more numbers of, of quality players coming through. So yeah, it, it's it's um, I think it's it's a, it's difficult to go back and always compare to previous generations. What we've got to deal with is what we've got right now. Is your squad good enough to qualify for the World Cup directly? In my opinion, yes. Okay. And you said it there yourself. Those guys going back, playing well for their club, scoring goals. Obviously, with the national team, it's not quite working at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm going to be the glass half full guy because I actually think, you know, yes, it, it hasn't been good, good enough up, to, up until now. But, but you're looking at a cup final, um, more or less, against Japan at home. Um, and you know, I actually went and, and bought uh, my ticket yesterday. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up to Sydney and, and watch this game with my 
in-laws who, who are traveling from Denmark. So I'm going to give them hopefully a good experience there. And, um, you know, again, if you win that game, it's going to give you momentum and then you have another cup final. So, so I don't think it's, it's, it's out of their hands. I, I think they can still qualify directly. They've got a, a good goal difference. Um, and, and so that's the focus that the players and Grand Mano, and I think that's also what he came out and said, is that it's still in our hands. We can still do it. And, and you got a home game with a great atmosphere, you know, to get one over Japan, who obviously uh, historically has been a tough team to beat. But, you know, why not? Yeah, but you know what? I, I, you understand why people are concerned. If you can't beat the of likes course. of Oman, mm, you know, Australia should... When you look at how they started the qualifying uh, even this this last stages of qualifiers, they started so well, and to find themselves now in this predicament, um, and yes, you're right, they still have it in their own hands, and yes, they can still do it, and the, and it's not like you're playing week in week out, isn't it? So you've got a time to to reflect. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. The problem they've got is they haven't got any time together or very limited time together, and that's always the issue with the national team. Um, they're going to have to do an almighty turnaround. Because you know they're 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 nowhere near it at the moment in their last couple of performances, and and that's the worrying bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting looking at Australia. Have scored five more goals than the second best team in the group, and that's Saudi Arabia. So they have no problem going forward, but they've conceded more than both Japan and Saudi Arabia. Tommy, I was going to ask you: we play Japan at home, Saudi Arabia play China. Now, again, in football, nothing is is guaranteed. But if Saudi Arabia win that game and we beat Japan at home, then Saudi really don't have much to play for in that last game. Any chance? Of them doing us a favor. <laughs> uh, you know, again, uh, you know, I've been in a situation, you know, where you qualified. So, so you do, you, you do slightly take the foot off of the pedal. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's some, some pride. But, that, but that's the small advantage that Australia have to rely on. You know, they, they have to, first of all, do it against Japan. You know, that, that's, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> that's the big cop final. And I think if they get through that with three points, I, I actually think they will qualify because... I agree with you. I think there's going to be a little advantage in, in that last game with the, you know, hopefully the confidence that they'll gain from it. But uh, I agree with Swartz. I think there's some issues that they need to step up because if, if they continue in this uh, sort of vein, they're not going to do it. Well, I think we've only won once in Saudi Arabia and I think Mark Schwartz was part of that team. Schwartzy, if, if you look at the, you, obviously most caps for the Socceroos, so you played over a fair few different squads under different managers. If I asked you what the best 11 with a manager was in your time in the Socceroos, which, which one would it be? As, <laughs> as in, you don't have to name the 11, but I'm just saying at, one peri- at what period was the greatest Socceroos squad? Yeah, no, definitely 2006. There's, okay. no, there's no two words about it. I mean, that, that was the best squad of players. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to say 11. It, it's the best squad yeah. of players. So obviously that entails the 11, of course, mm-hmm. um, that I'd ever been involved with man for man. And I think that's, that that will that'll take some doing to to at least emulate, and I hope we do. I hope we do it sooner rather than later, because mm. I just I, you know I want Australian football to continue to grow. I mean, well, to to start to grow again, because I think it, we're stagnated for a while now. We've, if anything, we've declined a little bit, and that's the the disappointment disappointing part of it. Because I thought, and I think a lot of the guys that were part of that group that qualified in two thousand and five for the oh six World Cup was that this was the watershed moment. This was the moment that when football, the face of football was going to change, which it did, but thought this is going to be the springboard for the national team, for football in Australia to continue to grow, which it did for a number of 
you know, quite a number of years, but obviously for some, you know, for, for numbers of reasons, we've, we've, we've fallen, we've fallen a little bit behind again. So I'm going to throw this one to you, right? I don't know if this is, it's obviously not possible, but if it was in the metaverse or something, if there's some way we could make this happen, if that squad from 2006 played Graham Arnold's most recent starting lineup that played Ahmad, what's the final score? Um, listen, I, it's, it's always hard to say, but I, I think we would have won the game comfortably. I think we would have won the game probably 3-0 at least. I think we would have won. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's difficult. It's not, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion. It's difficult to go away and play games in Asia. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm the first person to say it. And I said it when, when this current Socceroos team went on that amazing run of what was it, 11 or 12 consecutive wins. And I said, people don't under, people don't, don't realize what a what a an accomplishment that is because of how difficult those games are when they're away in Q8 playing that mini the mini sort of qualifying period the conditions they were playing in people mm-hmm. don't understand it people get on planes step off in an aeroplane in an airport then end up in their destination in Europe and then go and have a sleep for a couple of hours or a couple of days whatever and they're jet lagged for the full seven seven days 10 days right when you're in the national there's no time for that You've just got to you've got to sleep when you can. You've got to perform when you need to perform, and you've got to forget all about that. You you just got to go right. I've got to put that to one side now. I've just got to fully focus on playing football, mm. um, and then you've got to take into consideration how hot it is. Mm. Um, most of the time, the humidity it's it's ridiculous to play in. You know, my my ankles swell when I fly as well. So imagine trying to control a ball with those tree trunks as well. It'd be terrible. It'd be a nightmare. Uh, so there you go. You have it. You heard it here first. Mark Schwartz's team of 06 would win three nil against the current team. Love that. That's a headline in itself. Tommy, sorry, as in, so- sorry. Hang on, hang on. Did we get this wrong now? Did I say three nil? Hang on. Who were you referring to, Oman, or are you saying this Socceroos side? This Socceroos side. Oh, sorry. Oh, I backtracking. He's Oman. backtracking. Oh, no, no, no. my God. No, 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 no. I thought you said, I, I thought you said Amman. No, no, no. Uh, this no, current no. soccer is side cur- against your, um, your 06. Yeah, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with it. Yeah, I, I think we would. Yeah, no. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll go I'll go 3-1, right? I'll go 3-1. No, so I thought you meant Amman. I'll, you conceded I'll, I'll one, Shorty. Um, I came off. <laughs> the squad rotation. Zeko Kalic came on and 3 1. Alrighty. Last one on this topic, Tommy. I wanted to ask you. I'm not sure if Denmark went through this process at any point, but going through the history books, the recent history books, we saw Greece's embarrassment uh, qualifying for the 2002 World Cup. They were hammered by Finland. And they changed their system completely and obviously went on to win the Euros. We know what happened with Italy more recently. 2018 World Cup was an embarrassment. They changed their system, changed their manager, won the Euros. Could and what's happening now? Could miss what's happening now? Anyway, we could probably edit that sound out somehow. Can we, can we somehow mute Mark Schwarzer for this segment if we can? Uh, could it be a blessing in disguise if we were to miss a World Cup or is it just a catastrophe? Uh, I think it would be a catastrophe, really. Um, you know, there's two sides to it. Yes, I agree with you. It could be a wake-up call. Um, it gives you a, a chance to to think in a different direction. Um, but there's also a financial issue. Uh, and and you have to to remember that qualifying for the World Cup, I think it's 16 or $17 million you get just to get there. So, so you know, take that out of the budget uh, of the FFA, the the you know, what they can put into grassroots, what they can put into national teams, development. Uh, It's a big issue. Uh, And even when the players go to the World Cup, the clubs get uh, compensation as well. So 
So you, you suddenly, uh, you leave yourself with a hole. Uh, and, and I don't think the structure is in place to, um, to, to support, uh, you know, to support that not, not being there. I think, uh, you know, other countries will have, you know, everything in place. And I just think that the structure in Australia, talent development still has a way to go to, to, to be able to just cope with not, you know, not being there. Uh, let's not forget as well, right? So all that, say, $16 million or so it is to qualify for a World Cup, there is a lot of that money goes straight back to FIFA again because the costs that are involved with actually participating at the World Cup are ridiculous. And the host nations and what they charge, hotels, buses, everything else, flights are out of this world. Mm. Um, you know, I can tell you a story. South Africa, for an example, the hotel we stayed at in South Africa was a very nice hotel. Normal price was 250 US dollars a night. We were paying fee for a thousand, <laughs> and they had to book it for the period of the duration of the entire group stages. Had to, and they had to guarantee payment of that. The bus you had to use the bus that FIFA provided, and it was apparently fortunes. Mm-hmm. I know the cost of the hotel because someone at the ho- the woman at the hotel who was running the hotel told me about it which we, we couldn't believe it. And she couldn't actually believe it. But that's that's an ongoing problem. And then ticket prices and the flights and family hotels and what, what what you have to pay back is out of this world. FIFA wouldn't do that, Schwartz. Come on. That doesn't sound I like it. I didn't say that. I didn't that, say that. That doesn't sound like it. Come on. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, well, anyways, gents, I mean, we could go on. We could go on for days about the soccer. I want one last super quick word from you, Schwartz. Last week you made a big call on the on the show, and I love it because you don't sit on the fence here, Schwartz. That's why I love you, mate. You know, and last week on the show you said Tony Gustafsson, if you, if you could make the decision, if it was if it was in your hands, you said you'd get rid of him and focus on someone new to go into the World Cup. I'm going to ask you the same thing about Graham Arnold here. If we do have to go to a third place playoff and then subsequently a uh, potentially a game against South America, would you stick with him? Yes. Yeah. Only because. Listen, I mean, I, I think it's a different comparison. You just put your record, say the last 21 games or whatever it is that we're, yeah. we're talking about Gustafsson with the Matildas and we're talking about Graham Arnold's last 21 games. Yeah. His record is far superior than Gustafsson's. Yeah. There's no comparison. Yeah. So I still believe that even if they... Listen, finishing third is not the end of the world as we all know. Obviously, mm-hmm. we want to qualify directly. We know there's another path. Mm-hmm. It happened in the previous campaign. Mm-hmm. So... You've got to give him that opportunity to to do it, and he'll know. He know he'll know himself that if it goes to a playoff and he fails to qualify, of course he 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 realizes what's going to happen after that, and that's inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Watch this space. Big game, as Thomas said. We're going to have him up in Sydney for this one, Tommy. As he yes. said, it is a cup final, and uh, let's hope we pack out that stadium, make a lot of noise, and get the job done. We've got a decent record against Japan at home as well, so let's hope that comes into play. Gents, uh, I'm going to park that for now. We're going to move into the world of football. There's a lot coming up. The Premier League returns on Optus Sport this week. There's so much to get to, but before that, we've got a series kicking off today, actually, on Optus Sport called Sidelines. We are just talking about it offline. No one reached out to Schwartzy to, to record one, unfortunately, while he's yeah. living it up over there in in Austria. I wonder why. I wonder why. People look at you and just go, you know what? Leave him alone. He's just living it up. People get jealous, Schwartz. Um, but Tommy, you've recorded one as well. This is really about the struggles, uh, the mental health involved in football, the injuries that kick in and how to deal with that. I think it's such an inspiring series for young players to listen to because Wayne Rooney came out this week. I think that, that made the most noise. Wayne Rooney came out this week talking about some darker periods when he shot to fame and that he used to drink whenever he'd had a few days off just to kind of deal with that 
something that he wasn't prepared for. Coaches prepare you how to play on the park, how to play at the biggest level, but no one prepares you for the level of fame, pressure, and intensity of professional life. Can you relate to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I think, you know, back when, when, when I was sort of coming through uh, youth ranks uh, into the seniors, moving to England, um, there was no support. And also you came into an environment that was very tough. You know, you couldn't show any weakness. Um, you know, weakness was preyed upon by managers. Um, you, you, if you were branded, uh, you know, I had a, a Danish uh, player that came to, to Sunderland and um, Carsten Fredgaard, uh, and he was bought for a fair, fair few, you know, million pounds. And, and, you know, he must have been there a month. He played a game. He wasn't sort of ready for the pace and the physicality of English football. And the manager just, it was Peter Reid at the time, just like, nah, he's weak. You know, he's, you know, he can't handle it. And he sort of totally just pushed him to one side. And, and, and to be a friend of him off the pitch and, and to see how he just crumbled, you know, how he lost all his confidence, how he started to, to struggle, obviously missed home. Uh, it was tough to, it was tough to see. And, and, and there was no support. Um, and, and, and like the series I recorded, you know, the, the times I I was injured, I had um, a dislocated elbow uh, at a time, and I was out for th- three or four months, and, and just uh, you know just to be isolated, and and I've not gone through what a lot of other players have gone through, and and just that all the worries uh, of uh, you know will will I get back into the team, will I get back to my normal self, and and also nobody cares really about you. The first week people ask you, oh, how are you doing? But then after that, you, you're just by yourself. Uh, yeah. and you and and you're there left with with your own thoughts and and uh and, and it takes a lot of mental strength to you know to to cope with that and you know a lot of i've also you know especially i think my my darkest time was after the world cup in in 2002 where i had a couple of months i made a mistake against england uh, got a lot of a lot of uh, uh stick from obviously media fans you know uh, when we when we got back because we got knocked out and it took me two or three months, and I had to talk to 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 some old coaches and 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 just to get my focus back and and just get my belief back and and sort of try to to sort of just leave it in the past and and move on. But it was tough, you know. It, it's 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 not a great place to be, and I I get where you know Rooney where Rooney is, and, and it happens to a lot of players. But thankfully today, I think there's a lot more support. You know, people are more open about talking about these these issues. And um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a tough environment, and you have to be ready for it. <laughs> yeah, Schwartzy, that media scrutiny is that something that no one really prepares you for in the modern game? I think a lot of the guys, young guys coming through, do have media training. They do have a lot of um, that side of football. So social media, media, the attention, how you need to conduct yourself, be careful what you you write, what you you know, photos, all sorts of stuff, and and trying to deal with the press. Um, so it is certainly better, like Thomas was saying. And what Rain, what was interesting about what also what Wayne really said was that at the time, he he thought it was impossible to actually speak to anyone about it because he would have been, you know, he would have been eaten up. Um, and that's very much what like along the lines of what Thomas was saying. And I remember when I first came here as well, it was the same thing. Um, you know, that, that doggy dog, cutthroat, no weaknesses. Yeah, I've seen many a players be cast aside by managers coming in and just didn't like them, didn't, uh, you know, for whatever reason, wanted to bring their own players in. 
Um, that's happened so many times with no regard whatsoever for their mental well-being, for them as individuals. Um, you know, so many times I, I felt so bad for people. You know, it's just, and unfortunately, the clubs just, and even to this day, it, it still happens. You know, we see it. You know, people say things, do things, treat players in certain ways. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, the general response from people is that, oh, they get paid so much money, they can handle it, and they need to, ha- they need to handle it. And that's always the, 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 the go-to um, comment from people. And, and, and that's not the way, that's not the case. And um, it's something that certainly needs to, it has changed, it is getting better, but it's still a long way to go. Check out that series as it comes out on Optusport. As I said, it starts today. Sidelined. I've seen little snippets of it, and it looks looks very interesting, guys. Definitely worth a watch, particularly for young players coming up and preparing themselves potentially for the next step. So make sure you check that one out. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The African Cup of Nations, which finished over the weekend. Senegal won. I think no one can have really any doubts with that Senegal. An incredible starting lineup on the pitch and bringing on players like Ismail Assar off the bench. They're just stacked with talent. Egypt needed... Uh, past 90 minutes in every game that they played in the knockout phases of this tournament. So I think it would have been a bit of a robbery if they if they won that one. Everyone's happy for Senegal winning their first AFCON. But Mane Salah became the headline of that final. And it was like, are they friends? Are they not? It's a bit of frenemies. We saw Salah telling the keeper which way to go for Mane's penalty, which he missed. Thomas, firstly, we'll talk about these two directly. Is Salah still and always will be the main man at Liverpool? Or do you think Mane got one over him now by winning that? <laughs> No, for sure, Salah is still the main man at Liverpool. Um, you know, I, I, you know, he's, he's just got so much more to his game. Uh, I think looking at li- that Liverpool side uh, now, you know, Diaz has come in. I think, you know, they've had periods of time where they've been without Mane and they've been able to cope. I think Jota has, has filled in um, uh, and and Firmino. So uh, I still think, uh, you know, he's just got more to his game. Uh, even though obviously you saw the importance of of mine and and also the the, the mental strength of missing a penalty early and then and then obviously coming up good at the end uh, so so you know it, they're both great players uh, for sure uh, both different in the way they they go about things uh, but in my world uh, if if I had to drop one from the Liverpool side, I would drop uh, Mane <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, uh, there's a lot of rumours that that might happen at the end of the season and move away from Anfield, especially with, as you mentioned, Luis Diaz coming in. Schwartzy, you were uh, an expert on the other side of the penalty kick, but Jamie Carragher came out basically slamming <laughs> Egypt and Mo Salah for putting himself fifth penalty taker and then eventually not taking a penalty. Do you think your best penalty taker should be in the first few pens and waiting for fifth is just reckless? No, not necessarily. Um, look, was, Johnny, was Johnny Aloisi your best penalty taker? Yeah, definitely one of the best penalty takers, okay. yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, you saw he put the ball. Mm. Top bins. Um, 
no, I mean, did he feel the pressure? Of course he felt the pressure, but never in doubt that Johnny was going to score. Okay. Um, look, Mane is arguably Senegal's best penalty taker. I know he did miss one in normal time. He's their main penalty taker. He mm. was fifth for Senegal. Yeah. Scored the winning penalty. Obviously, Salah was fifth. Um, if it works out well and he's your main man and he scores a winning decisive penalty, everyone goes, that's brilliant. And that's why he's there. If they fall short, like with Egypt's case, then there's always going to be open for criticism. But I, I, I don't think... And look, the, the, the round before, Salah was fifth mm. yeah. and scored the winning pen. So it, it was just one of those moments, unfortunately, for Egypt. It didn't work out. But yeah. if we if well, we go back to the Euros and, and we look at England, you know they put their best takers first, and then some of the young guys at the end. You know, so I think any strategy in hindsight, you know, obviously it's good or bad. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think it was. Uh, you know, I've always been a favor of having, you know, the the, the trusted ones at the end. Mm, I feel like first and fifth, right? The two most crucial penalties, number one and number five. Yeah, you need yeah, your, yeah. your calm, your calm heads there. Uh, I wanted to talk to you actually about Mendy. Mendy now wins the African Cup of Nations. What a couple of years it's been for him, a man who about seven, eight years ago was unemployed as a goalkeeper. He's gone on to win almost everything there is to win now in football. Um, and he's won FIFA Best Player, uh, Best Goalkeeper of the Year as well. So he's flying high. Kepa, in the meantime, is doing a great job in the Prem 4. Chelsea in the FA Cup. He saved them in the last minutes of the game. They're now at the Club World Cup. Schwartzy... Ha- how difficult is it as a goalkeeper? I wanted to get both your opinions of this. When you're maybe second fiddle, now you'd assume that Mendy walks back into this team. How tough is it to be best friends? Everyone has spoken about, oh, these guys get along so well, they train together. But it's got to be difficult when you're playing well. There's only one position on the park and you've got to make way for this other guy. Is it difficult to be best friends with him? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Best friends, yes. Like friends, like as in you know, colleagues and get on and be very respectful and work really well together, absolutely, can can definitely work. Um, the problem you've got is if you've got two goalkeepers who are of certain levels and want to play every week and Kepa's showing now that he can play each week without, you know, the mistakes that he'd made previously, then eventually what's going to happen, which could already be happening now, is that Kepa will be like, listen, if I lose my spot now, come the end of the season, I want out, I want to go somewhere I want to play. Um Will 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 Mendy come straight back in? So like off the plane and play the very next game? Maybe maybe not, but he'll be back definitely as number one. For me, he is number one. I think Tuchel's also been pretty pretty clear with that 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 uh, Mendy is his number one. Kepa's there as a really important player and does an incredible job since he's since Tuchel's been there of coming in and deputising whenever need be. So you feel for him, but I think from my understanding, Tuchel's made it very clear of of, of where they stand. Um, then, then come the end of the season, Kepa's going to have to make a decision whether he wants to continue along those same sort of paths. Still a lot of big games coming up for Kepa. Club World Cup now, and you'd think he's probably going to start in the Carabao Cup final <clears> as well because he got them there. So still still a lot to do for him in this season. But yeah, I think you're right. Tommy, you don't have to speak about yourself necessarily and your own personal experiences, but do you know of goalkeepers which absolutely hated the other keeper that they were fighting for a spot with? Like, Does that happen often? <laughs> it was funny because when I uh, when I came to Sunderland in '98, uh, you know they were they were so happy just to to have. So I, there was an, another keeper they brought in, and and we got along because the season before they, they'd had a a, a a Paris, a French keeper, and Salterbeer, a Dutch keeper, and and uh, 
the story went that they, they couldn't train together. So they did one, one, one of them was training one, one end of the training ground. The other one was training at the other end of the training ground. And they absolutely hated each other. So, uh, I haven't sort of experienced myself with keeper because I, I always, my first priority has always been to create a good environment because for, for me personally to, if I had to come in every day, perform at my best and just knowing that, uh, you know, that I hated or, or there were some unsolved issues uh, between players. You know, we all know that the, the coach p picks the, the, the guy who's in goal, whatever. Uh, but we still have to respect each other and, and we still have to, to try to at least get the best out of each other in, in training. Um, so, so I've always sort of at least done whatever I could to, to clear up any issues um, and, and then just move, move ahead and, and, and create a good environment. But, you know, yeah, I, I know for sure it, it, it all comes down to personalities and, and who you are as, as people and just some people just doesn't get along. And, you know, it's probably the only time I've heard about goalkeepers not... Uh, you know, not really seeing eye to eye because, in general, you understand the situation. You, you know, we we brought up with we know that only one person can play, and there's this unity. Uh, I think understanding of 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 you know what the job entails. So, you know, it it, it tends to be a good environment uh, in in my experience. Schwartz, did you ever cop it coming up as a young keeper from maybe the experienced ones that you're taking their spot or something like that? Oh yeah, when I was in Germany um, at Kaiserslautern, there was a there was the an older, more experienced goalkeeper. He's thirty-seven, uh, hardly trained, but was in the gym all the time. But apparently had a bad back. But he was there pumping weights all the time. <laughs> Therefore, he couldn't train all the time. Anyway, so he he was he was basically he was just a bully. He was mm -hmm. he was literally a bully. He would he would shout and scream and try and fight with people if they didn't see his 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 side of things or see it his way. Um, and also was very quick into the manager's room all the time to to say that he's fit and should be sitting on the bench at the very least because he got paid extra money for sitting on the bench and got bonuses and so forth. Um, yeah, horrible individual. Um, and then obviously I was only there for 18 months and I left, um, which, was, which, was, which was fine. But, I, you know, you, you've had experience. I mean, I've had experiences where generally speaking, I'm, I'm like Thomas, I always wanted to have a great, you know, a really good environment. And it's hard because, mm. you know, like I remember when I was at Middlesbrough, I had Mark Crosley there and – Mark Crosley came, uh, and of course, you know, he wants to play, right? So there were times where I was injured and he played, and played well. And then I came back from injury, and they put me straight back in. So he was really annoyed, um, and, and rightfully so. I, I totally understand it, right? Um, and, 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 and there was a period of time where it happened to him a couple of times, and, he, and he, he ended up basically wanting to leave the club, and he did leave. And I suppose that's where it comes down to whether or not, like Thomas was saying, there, manager makes a decision, goalkeeper, coach, manager, who's their number one? If they if they if they go on that path, which they normally do, and then it's up to the next guy then to decide whether or not he's prepared to put up with it or, or leave. It's not that I didn't have a good relationship with him because I actually had a really good relationship with him. It wasn't that we had an issue with each other. It was just that he was really annoyed with the way that the club were running or the manager was running it. Um, I've had it other times as well where the the chemistry is not there mm. but you have respect for each other and you train and you try and do the right thing i mean I, i've had times as well where the 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 number two just wouldn't serve me mm. so you knew that he thought that he should be playing and so therefore he wouldn't serve me and then the other case i've had the flip side of it as well where they have that they, they, they have served but they've served with such you know uh ferociousness that you kind of go, hang on a second, like, come on, like, 
be be a bit more respectful. And there was a couple of times where he had to say something. Um, and then in the end, you, if he didn't listen, you just ended up doing the same thing to him and even worse. <laughs> I love the competitiveness of you footballers. What do but you do? You know, if, you, if you've difficult. tried, you try to talk about it, and they won't. Yeah. They won't listen. They won't take it on board, or they look at you like, "What are you talking about? I've done nothing wrong." And then you go, "Okay, all right, I'll show you then." I'll give it back to you. And that's the only thing you can do. Prison rules. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah all right, I'll give it back to you. Yeah, if, if you if you're not going to listen, if you're not going to listen to it and be open to to uh, to the you know to the discussion, then I'll show you. Oh, fire up, Schwartz. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I but you know, it. the thing is, I, I hated doing that, but sometimes yeah, no, you, there no. was no other sometimes, choice. Yeah. Is it difficult in a national team? Because in a national team, you're both maybe playing regularly for your clubs. You're both yeah. playing well. So yeah. that, that might be even more difficult, right? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's definitely more difficult. Um, and 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 I, I mean, I think probably a lot of people know about it, and it's probably common knowledge that my relationship with Zelko Kalek. We, we, we're not friends. We're, mm. we're, we're colleagues. We were colleagues. And yeah. we just, we, we, we got on and just did what we had to do. Um, and he certainly didn't like to serve me. Yes. He was certainly someone that didn't, he was, he felt that he didn't have to serve and just went and did his own thing. And then the, it was normally, um, um, Ante Kovic who would do the serving with Thomas, uh, with, with, uh, Tony Franken. Um, and 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 not uh, Zelko. So yeah, you know, that's just the so way it was. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. you didn't serve him before the Croatia game. That's that must. That's what happened. Jeez. No, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it anyway because <laughs> the, the day of the game, no one, no one served him before the Croatia game. <laughs> no, 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 the day of the game, the goalkeeping coach, so Tony Franken, did all the serving, and basically Ante Kovic and I were on the side of the pitch doing our own little thing, and that's when. That's when uh, um, my, my friend, um, uh, what's his name for the uh, English referee uh, who refereed that game? Um, Graham Paul. I can't, Graham Paul. My yeah. buddy came around and I saw him jogging around the pitch with all the other English referees. I went, oh, hey, how you going, Graham? And he went, oh, been dropped, have we? <laughs> uh, that was his words. I just went. Oh, because you didn't know. Or you knew. No, well, well, he must have known from the lineup, the but he was jogging shit, yeah. up around. He was okay. jogging up around the pitch, and then yeah. saw me, and then I said hello to him, and then he went, "Oh, I've been dropped, have we?" And thought yeah. it was funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, referees, <laughs> Tommy. I, I, I want to talk to you about actually a, a goalkeeper, which later in your career you were you were playing with a, a Melbourne Dean Buzanis, who was a player that was quite highly rated as a young player here in Australia. A lot made of him. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the London Football Awards are going on on the 3rd of March, and uh, they've released the nominees for Goalkeeper of the Year, Aaron Ramsdale, Edouard Mendy, Hugo Lloris, Lucas Fabianski, and Dean Buzanis from Sutton United has made that list as the top five keepers in London. Is uh, what, what have you made of him and his kind of his move to England, his trajectory, and and just as a, as a personality? Because we've heard a lot about him, but I guess not many people that have known him personally. You know, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a case of of a, a player with a lot of talent that probably hasn't got that out of it that he probably could have. Um, but but I also think that it comes down to, you know, he's had some issues, uh, probably too much confidence at times, uh, you know, having um, not, because it's a political game. So like we have to, you know, sometimes you have to suck things up. Sometimes you just have to get on with things. You know, things are not always like we've talked about in this podcast. Things are not always done right by you. Uh, you don't always get what you deserve. And, uh, you know, I can talk about my time at uh, Melbourne City and and he he did some some things off the pitch um that didn't put him in a good situation 
Uh, and I think it's just been a constant. I also heard about things at Liverpool where, you know, he was he was a bit overconfident. He, he you know he didn't go about things in the in the right way. Uh, because when you actually look at it, I think, he, you know, he, he he's great with the feet. Probably one of the the best I've seen uh, with his distribution. Um, was he? You know, would he have played at absolute highest level as a goalkeeper? I don't think so. I don't think he was quite good enough for that. But I think he could definitely have achieved more than than playing for Sutton. But but good on him. He's obviously followed uh, Steph Catley there. I, I presume they're still an item. So uh, and and yeah. he's 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 done well. So you know, fair fair play to him. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's it's a case of somebody not quite achieving what they could have achieved. Hmm. Probably just didn't live up to the potential goalkeepers. Ah, oh, it's it's such a fascinating for me to look through the lens of you guys into the life of a goalkeeper, the competition of a goalkeeper. You mentioned Steph Catley. Actually, she's back in action. Uh, all, most of the Matildas have gone back to the WSL, and I'll plug that now because that's back this weekend. Chelsea Arsenal. It's pretty much a title decider that you guys can catch live on Optus Sports. Can Sammy Kerr put the that match against South Korea behind her and go back to bagging goals. She's still Chelsea's top scorer. They take on Arsenal. A win will probably be all they need to keep back in title contention. If they lose this game, you'd think the Gunners would run away with it. Steph Catley in action there as well, as well as a few other Aussies. And we're going to look forward to all the football coming up on Optus because finally the Prem... I felt like we didn't have Premier League for about a month. It was just so strange. We had a game on the weekend, Burnley uh, against Watford. It wasn't really... Uh, a curtain raiser for the return of the Premier League. Nil-nil draw, not much to it. Uh, but your man, Woy, becomes the first out of the last five managers to keep a clean sheet at Watford. No surprise in that one, is it? Really, let's be honest. <laughs> I said it before. He's going to work them hard. He's going to drill them hard. They're going to be very difficult to break down. And there you go, first clean sheet. Um, oh, listen, if Bridgie had been in, uh, if the game was on in Bridgie's back garden, he'd have his curtains closed, wouldn't he? And certainly would have with the weather, the weather, the way the weather was on the day. It was ridiculous, the weather. So um, I, th- I think, you know, to, to get a draw, a little time to prep his team, Roy, I think he'd be more than happy with it under, under the conditions that they were playing at. For Burnley, it, it's, it's a worrying, it's definitely worrying for them because they just don't seem to be able to, you know, to, they've got games in hand, but they need to start winning. They need to start winning very, very quickly. I mean, as they all do all the teams around them, you know, what goes without saying, Watford are the same. So often we see the case when two teams are basically in a in a in a very very dire situation. We often see a, sta- a stalemate, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, well, it wasn't really any surprise there, but probably, as you said, it almost felt like a worse result for Burnley, who take on Man United coming up, Tommy. Uh, I believe the game is at Turf Moor as well. Tell me about Man United. I mean, they're bombed out of the cup now, and... They've got look. They've got dramas around the club, but the most, the biggest thing that just shocks me is Ralph Ranick's approach to the media. Because first we heard the Anthony Martial story when Martial was left out of a squad. He said he didn't want to play. Martial came out and said that's not true. Uh, now pretty much the exact same thing has happened with Lingard, where he was left out of a squad and the coach gave one reason. Lingard took to social media to say that's completely wrong. Do you think he's just managing this team completely wrong and he's losing the dressing room right in front of our eyes, Tommy? You know, it's always hard to judge from the outside. I think he's he's definitely not a natural with the media, um, and and the scrutiny when results are not going well, it's obviously twice everyone is reading everything into it. Um, you know, he, he should have enough experience. Um, so, some I'm probably on on Randy's side on on this that that he's doing it for for a reason. Um, that, that there's actually 
some some good grounds for him to to come out and say it. Um, but then on the other hand, do you then have to make it publicly? Um, you know, mm. that straightforward. I, I think you could give reasons to to get around it. Uh, so so he's probably dug himself a, a little bit of a hole um, in in those instances. But I think he's got bigger issues. You know, you're just looking at you know the Middlesbrough game and 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 obviously just you know the great thing in in the Premier League they can't go into a penalty shootout. I think that's that's the that's <laughs> the, that's a, that's a, a big plus for them. But um, yeah, he's definitely not getting the right things out of it. The system he's trying to implement is definitely not working at the moment. I think it, there's still ways to go, and um, I think he's he's got bigger issues than just the press. One of the criticisms that came out, or, or one of the question marks out of Germany, was that. Um, Certainly, that in the past he's never really had to deal with really big name players, and when he's had to, it generally hasn't gone down too well. So that was always one of the grey areas with him coming at, to Manchester United with with such big personalities in that change room. How was he going to deal with them, um, and and what you know what was the outcome going to be? And obviously, it seems like it's not all rosy. Obviously. Um, with, with Manchester United at the moment. And I mean, there's no doubt in my mind as well, the off-field problems that they've got right now has also had a bearing on, on, on their performance. Well, I hope that does well to answer Baxter's question. We put out on Optus Sport uh, asking our fans for some question, and Baxter actually wrote in, why are Manchester United really bad? Uh, I hope... <laughs> <laughs> I hope Baxter's not a United fan because it sounds just such a sad message. That that's all it was. His question: Why are they really bad? Would you, if you had to put it down to one thing, Tommy? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come out and say they are really bad. I think that is quite harsh. But for young Baxter over here, would you, what's one reason you'd give as to why United's form slump is happening right now? You know, I think they've got some some uh, squad issues. I, I think yeah. their mid their midfield. Um, I think they're still searching. I think they're they're lacking. Um, you know, I, th- I said at the beginning of the season they should have, uh, you know, spent a, a fair few million in, in there on, on probably Declan Rice. I think is it David Moyes that went out this week and said now he'll cost more than a hundred million, so yeah. they, <laughs> they'll have to pay more for him. Uh, and then the backline, I, I still think you know defensively, you know, how many times has De Gea docked them out uh, of, of even a bigger disaster? So. I, you know, I, I, I still think the squad, compared to, like, we, like, we're comparing them to the other top four top to four sides, and I just don't think they're good enough, even with Ronaldo and some of the attacking flair that they have. Yeah, well, we actually got another question here for you, Schwartz. We got, what hair gel does Schwartzy use? I'm not even making this up. That was a question. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't watch me too often because, because it is pretty obvious I don't really use very much of it and don't use enough of it. Um, yeah, like recently, none at all because I just wear a, I wear a hat or a, <laughs> a beanie, yeah, very beanie hat helmet when I'm skiing. Yeah, so nothing at the moment. Watch this space though. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, <laughs> let's look forward to another game coming up. Newcastle take on Everton. Uh, quite a fascinating fixture because Newcastle have just been that squad that everyone's got their eyes on since the takeover. And Everton, with a new manager, with a couple of players looking to revive their career, arguably the two busiest in the transfer window, Schwartz. What are you expecting from this game? Um, what am I expecting from this game? Uh, well, we saw a very incre- very positive response from the Everton players um, mm. in, in the Cup against Brentford. And, and I suppose... It's a pretty good indicator because you know it's a Bre- it's a Brentford, it's another Premier League side, um, you know, and you could see Thomas Frank certainly wasn't impressed 
with the result and his performance of his team. Um, and I thought Everton, the response that they showed, the messages that were coming out of Everton, um, you know, since Frank's been there, has been really, really positive. And the players have got belief now, which obviously is a bit of a, a dig at the previous manager, which doesn't surprise me. Um, Newcastle just read the news today that they're saying Callum Wilson will be out until right towards the end of the season. They'll only be available probably for a handful of games. That's a huge blow. Absolutely enormous blow for them. Um, it really depends on how... I mean, I, I've got no, no concerns um, about Matt Target, about Dan Byrne, these guys fitting in. The worrying bit for Newcastle would be is how the the, the new boy in midfield, the Brazilian, fits in. Guimarães, yeah. Guimarães, yeah. yeah. How he adapts, how quickly he adapts. You know, he comes from, he's coming from Lyon, uh, a side that is very much possession-based in, in uh, League 1. And how is he going to go to a Newcastle side that has very much struggled to, to have any decent amount of possession in a game? Um, that's going to be that's going to be a, a, a bit of a a bit of a, a culture shock to him. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a it's a great game coming up. It's coming up tomorrow morning actually, and uh, with a win, Newcastle can move out of the relegation zone and bring Everton within one point of the relegation yeah. zone as well. But I, I think I, I do I do fancy Everton though. I, yeah. I do fancy Everton to win the yeah. game. I, I think the momentum's too too great. I think Donny Van der Beek, uh, Deli Ali, we there or thereabouts in the squad, mm-hmm. and I think. They will also have a massive boost. I, I, listen, I've said it before. Donny Benavid, I think, is a really good player, mm. and I, he just needs games. Will he hit the ga- ground running? Wouldn't surprise me, but probably less likely because he hasn't played regularly for so long now. Mm. Um, but I'd like to think that he's going to do really well for Everton. Actually, quick one just on that, Tommy. Uh, the new man, Deli Ali. Obviously, was they unveiled a few new players on the weekend at Goodison Park, and he's come out in his <laughs> in his uh, designer clothes. I had to ch- I had to check if that was designer clothing because he looked, you know, he looked a bit rugged, a bit. But apparently, yeah, quite expensive jeans, quite expensive top, and then a Rolls Royce at his first day of training. Um, what what have you made of that? You know what? I, I've played with players. And I, you know, if you rock up with a lot of flair and like a lot of attention on yourself, you, you know you have to back it up. Um, yeah. And that's the way it goes. You know, like some players do, and uh, it's great, and everyone love it. But, but if you don't, uh, I think Graveson once told me a story of a player that signed at, at Everton. The first car he bought was red. Uh, and he, he brought a, a, a red Porsche, I think, and he came into the training ground and he had an absolute stinker and, and, and the fans just turned on him because of that red car. So, uh, you know, again, Deli Ali, he's, he's opening himself up to a bit of criticism, but, you know, uh, he must be confident he can back it up on the pitch. So uh, good on him. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the guy's got the cash. I'm sure Schwartzy can relate with Sammy Eto rocking up with a different supercar every day, right? No one told him anything. Yeah. Yeah, but he, but he backed it up. He backed it That's up. Exactly, <laughs> exactly what Thomas was saying. Yeah, yeah. Look at look at his career. Look at his record. Yeah. Look at his performances. He backed it up. Yeah. And and I, I'm a bit old school now as well. I'm like, why? Why put even that much more pressure on yourself? Just like, a humble just car for training, right? Get your, get your head down a little bit. I mean, mm. he struggled. Let's, let's be honest, right? He has been way off the mark for probably at least 18 months, two years. Yeah. He's been a shadow of himself. Mm. And now all of a sudden you've got this massive move, which is a massive move for him. They paid a lot of money for him. Mm. And, right, I don't know, maybe it's another opportunity to be in the limelight. I don't, know, I, I don't get it. Mm. If he, you know, Listen, if he went there and the first six months he absolutely tore the place apart and mm. was unbelievable, then he can do what you want. I, I wouldn't care then. Mm. 
but it's at the beginning you just kind of go go in a little bit more low key go in there a little bit more of keeping your head down getting the performances under your belt and then do what you want let your personality come out fine yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's put the pressure on himself. Let's see. Can he deliver Deli Ali on his day? We've seen what he can do, but it has been a while and few and far between. Great game Friday morning. Liverpool take on Leicester. Brendan Rodgers returns again to Anfield. Tommy, what is going on at Leicester? Because 10th in the league, they're out of the Europa League, out of all the cups. Is there a problem here? Is Brendan Rodgers leaving at the end of the season? What, what have you made from Leicester so far this season? And he's bookmaker's favourite to get the sack. Oh, he is, right? Uh, yeah, the, okay. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I think it's it's a combination of things. You know, there's obviously some important injuries. I think for Fana at the back, uh, Evans. I think they're they're massive misses. Uh, then I can, uh, you know, they've tried to obviously replace one of them with Vestergaard, and I don't think, you know, even though he's Danish, I, I, I'll, I'll have to say that he hasn't quite performed to to the level that you you would expect. He hasn't done the job, and then tactically as well. You know, there was uh, the zone marking. They're, they've suddenly, this season, you know, been shocking on set plays and it's cost them a lot. Uh, so, so they, you know, they, there's a lot of issues, I, I think. And is it sort of wearing uh, a bit thin? You know, he's been there for a while. Uh, so so th- mm. there's also that issue. I've, I've been at clubs where, you know, you, you have an instant impact and, and then slowly it just starts to fade. And, and then again, with the when the rumours start of, you know the the manager going other places. You know players sort of sometimes lose the focus, lose the direction a bit, and uh, it doesn't take much at that level to 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 drop off. And so I, I think it's a bigger issue uh, than just you know one thing. But he's definitely not living up to the expectations uh, that 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 the Leicester fans have. Schwartz is he's, he's about 12 points off the top four, 11 points off the relegation zone. He's just sitting in the middle, that nothingness that exists in the middle of the table. It's safety, but it's not very exciting. Uh, your tip, will Brendan Rodgers be there next season? Um, Leicester have a record of being very conservative when it comes to sacking managers, and they hold on and hold on. I, I think he'll still be there come the end of the season. Will he be on? Will he be there to the start of next season? That's a good question, but I think he'll last until the end of the season. The thing you look at it is you look at the side that played against or started against Nottingham Forest. Mm. It was still a good side. Yeah, there's no reason that side should have lost. I mean, for, the, the, firstly, Nottingham Forest were worthy four-one winners. Yeah, they played incredibly well. Yeah, um, Leicester were woeful. And going back to what Thomas was saying there about about Vestergaard. He can't even get in the team ahead of Daniel Amadi, who's a utility player. Like, listen, I know Daniel from when I was there. Listen, he's a great guy and he's a, he's a utility player. He's, or I wouldn't tell you he's a right back, centre half, midfield player. He's one of those players you really can't pinpoint where his best position is. Mm-hmm. But surely Vestergaard should be playing ahead of him. And I thought Daniel Amadi was pretty poor against Forrest. I mean, he was one of everyone. I mean, I'm, I'm picking on him now, but I'm, it's, it, the whole team was poor. They were, they were, there wasn't a player in the Leicester side, maybe an Acho, but the rest, very poor. Mm. Well, I mean, pressure's on them now, right? And let, let's have a look at this space. It's amazing that Leicester City just five, six, seven years ago, you know, mid-table would have been fantastic for them, but they've really turned into a giant in the English game. And now we look at them in 10th spot and it's like, that's poor for Leicester City. So credit to the club and how far they've come in the last five, six, seven years. But yeah, definitely needs something to turn around there for Brendan Rodgers. Tommy, they're taking on Liverpool, who are nine points off 
top spot City. But they've got a game in hand. If they were to win that, they'd go within six, still got to play City. What have you? I mean, they've navigated this African Cup of Nations very well, lost their two biggest superstars right till the very end of the Cup. And now the main question is, Luis Diaz comes in. He seems to have fit in quite well at the training ground, like quite a funny character as well. Does he go straight into this starting lineup? You know, I, I, you know, maybe not from the start, but I'll definitely give him a, a run. Uh, you know, come come the second half at some point. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he's in form. You know, he's uh, he's played recently, so so why not? I, I think uh, it'll be a good way to introduce him. And and you know, I you know, I can't really see them not winning against uh, Leicester. I think the strength of Liverpool, the system, the way Klopp's got them going, it doesn't really matter too much uh, who plays. They just seem to. Uh, to come up and and just fit in and and I'm sure Diaz will will, will be the same so uh, yeah get him in as soon as possible and are they still very much in this title race yeah for sure you know I, and I hope so you know we want it to go down to the wire we we we, we don't want uh, Man City just to run away with it and and I think Liverpool as you said they're going to play each other again I, I think they're going to push them all away and um, you know it's going to be tight still uh, come come the last couple of games. I might, I might just go back on that thing about Brendan Rodgers. And if you look at the next game, Liverpool away, and then Leicester playing West Ham at home, mm. and then they've got Randers in the, Euro, uh, the Europa Conference League. If, if they go through those games and certainly lose to Liverpool, which I think they will, and I think they will comfortably, and then West Ham beat them as well, <laughs> he, could, he could be under, yeah, he could be in big trouble. He could be. So the next couple of games are crucial because they're, the, they're, the, they're, they're a very important moment. 20 games played. Um, it was 11 points off the top, 12 points off the top four, whatever it is. The problem he's got is the last two years he was there but then dropped out. Um, and then back it up with this season having a bit of a disaster in terms of what, what Leicester expectations are these days. Look, the FA Cup as well. Losing the Forest away, it's a, it's a, it's a Midlands derby. Then not only that, what was even more important was before the game, they knew who the next the next opponent would have been. They would have been at home to Huddersfield. And okay, it's not that a foregone conclusion, but geez, there's not much of a better opportunity than, than when you look at the rest of the draw, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Well, they they won it last season, so maybe they just thought, you know what, we've already got that one. We've got it in the bag. Let's focus on, let's focus well, on well, something he, else. Well, the team meeting, he brought, he brought the trophy in, didn't he? Yeah. He brought it into the team meeting. He tried to... <laughs> To, to show the players, remind the players of how important it is, how big a trophy it is in terms of the significance of it and how hard they worked to win it last season for the first time in the history of the club. And he, he even said it, obviously backfired. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got a fair few injuries and they've got to play this uh, conference league now. So traveling around Europe to do that, it just adds to the schedule. So pressure on Brendan Rodgers will watch this space very closely, gents, as we get to the last couple minutes of the podcast I want to take a super quick trip around Europe and Tommy I'm going to start in the Italian Serie A where we had AC Milan come from behind to beat Inter in the derby so you've now got Inter Napoli and AC Milan all within a point it's probably one of the best title races in Europe who wins it from here in your opinion uh, um, I, I still think Inter will uh, will will will, will catcher I think uh, Insaki I think I think has done a great job yes they didn't win the, the derby but I think the squad they have, uh, Checo, um, Martinez. I, I think they're they're just uh, they're, they're they're just that more consistent, a little bit more consistent than, than the others. Uh, and I think, mm. you know, over, uh, you know, well, what have they got left? Still, you know, fifteen, sixteen games. I, I think they they'll they'll run away with it. Yeah. 
the only thing is Inter are playing Napoli in five mm. days time mm. at, in in Naples mm. so if, even, even if they lose to Napoli they've got a game in hand on them so they could still win that game and still be ahead of them yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah I mean it's Inter to lose I think yeah well they've actually got a great schedule tomorrow morning they play Jose Mourinho in the Coppa Italia and that's got Jose written all over it. You just know it'll be box office. He's gonna do. He's gonna pull something out of the bag there. And then they've got Napoli, and then they've got Liverpool in the Champions League. So, very tough schedule coming up for Inzaghi. Well, Let's and what about goes. Juventus? What about the two signings? Yeah, <laughs> they have both scoring. Vlaovic and Zakaria first straight in. Yeah, yeah. Well, Zakaria is a top player. I'm surprised that no one else came in from him. I'm surprised that Man United didn't go for him. You're talking about midfield. Um, Zakaria, he's a very, very good player. Mm, they snagged him quite cheap as well. They moved back into the top four, and you know what? They're about eight points off top at the moment. Now, I'm not saying they're going to compete, but if they were you to are, get themselves but you are, back... But you are. But I kind of am. <laughs> but I kind of am. I, I think they're going to compete for something this season, whether that is a late run for the league or that is a Champions League run because they've had a decent draw. I think that they'll make a little bit of a charge and surprise a few people. But let's see. Watch this space closely. If Dybala and Vlaovic team up, Schwartz, I'm going to go to your favourite league. The Bundesliga. Is it over now? Nine points. See you later. Are we the same? Almost, yeah. Almost, yeah. yeah. Bayern, listen, big game. I mean, the, the, the disappointing thing is that RB Leipzig have been way off the mark, really. Um, they've struggled early on. They, they're, they've been a little bit better of late, um, but they've been way off the mark early on in the season. The Jesse Marsh uh, experiment, well, not even experiment, I suppose. The, the decision to replace him, uh, you know, to replace Nagelsmann with him, I was reading. I was it was interesting to know that, like even Jesse March, gave March gave an interview about two weeks ago, and he said that his problem was that the difference between the way he plays football or one of the teams to play football and this quick counter-attacking style of football was very different to the way Nagelsmann played, and he tried to change it too quickly, too soon, and the players couldn't adapt to it. And then he tried to find this hybrid version, which didn't really work, and the results obviously went against them. So, um, and then Dortmund. Dortmund have been a bit of a shambles, haven't they? I mean, it's been really disappointing, actually, Dortmund have been. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll have the whole week packed to football. And by the time we chat next week, most of these teams in the Premier League would have already played twice. In the rest of Europe, they would have already played and look forward to a Champions League clash. So we've got plenty to wrap up next week on the show, no doubt. Hopefully, Michael Bridges is back to join us and chat some nonsense, as he always does. We love him. We miss him when he's not here. Him and his nose. Uh, but we'd love to have him back. And... Gents, it's been a great chat today. We've gone from Socceroos to the the troubles of being a goalkeeper in the modern game and now wrapping up the European game. Thanks, as always, for joining me. And for everyone listening from home, jump on the Optus Sport app for your latest in news, highlights, anything you could ever want from the world game. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. See you then.